We are going to talk about the great miracle of Jesus' birth today. I've entitled this sermon, The Grand Miracle, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. If you have your print Bible, I encourage you to open that to Colossians chapter 1, uh, and it'll also be on the screen. Well, in the year 1809, something pretty significant was happening in the world. The armies of Napoleon were marching all across Europe, and they conquered a vast territory as far south as Egypt, all the way to northern Germany. And all around the world in 1809, people were feverishly awaiting news of the war. They were diligently scanning newspapers in America. People in Europe were quaking in fear. And by 1809, Napoleon and his armies had either completely conquered or had the loyalty of Austria, Prussia, Holland, Belgium, Italy, Spain, and their influence spread as far south as Egypt. Hundreds of thousands of troops in his army, called the Grand Armée, hundreds of thousands allied against him, and all the while, in their own homes, babies were being born. But who could think about babies in 1809? Battles were being fought. But in that one incredible year, in 1809, there stole into the world a host of heroes. William Gladstone was born in 1809. He was born in Liverpool, England, and would go on to become the champion of the working class in British society. He was the only Prime Minister ever elected four separate times. Alfred Lord Tennyson was born in 1809 at Summersby, England. He would be, go on to become the Poet Laureate for Great Britain and Ireland during the reign of Queen Victoria. To this day, he's one of the most quoted English poets of all time. You may have heard of the term polymath. That's an individual whose knowledge spans a huge amount of subjects and is an expert in all of them. Well, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in 1809 in Massachusetts, and he would grow up to become a true polymath. He had an incredible medical career, uh, championing the youth of the use of stethoscopes for doctors. Not interesting. Doctors wear stethoscopes because of Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was way ahead of his time proposing the theory of germs and infection, and he campaigned the lives campaign to save the lives of everyone who went under surgery. He hugely advocated surgeons to sterilize their equipment, to, to clean their operating theaters. Everyone thought he was crazy, but he was a huge advocate for it. He was also, at the very same time, a brilliant author. He was a major player on the literary scene, and as if he didn't have enough to do, he also learned, earned a law degree. Well, that very same year in 1809, Charles Darwin was born in Shrewsbury, England on the edge of Wales. And he would go on to change the field of biology forever. Whether you like him or despise him, you can't deny the impact that Charles Darwin has had. Also in 1809, a woman named Christina Smith was born in Scotland. And she would go on to become a missionary, a teacher, and a sociologist before the term was even invented. And she left Scotland, traveled all the way to Australia, and served with the Bwandig tribe of Aboriginal people in the Australian outback. 
She taught them the good news of Jesus. She also carefully recorded their history, their language, and their culture. Her first husband died. She eventually remarried. And as if she didn't have enough to do, she had eight children and raised them well. What Christina Smith did is remarkable achievement because modern secular opinion feels that missionaries have gone into places and destroyed the culture of the original people that were there. But Christina Smith is an example of someone who took the utmost care to carefully preserve their language, their culture, and she did it in incredible ways. Also in 1809, Abraham Lincoln was born. Universally described as the greatest president the United States has ever had. He first drew breath in old Kentucky in 1809. Honest Abe, as he was known, is famous for the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring freedom for African-American slaves. He also delivered the Gettysburg Address, which has become a touchstone of rights and responsibilities and freedoms for Americans ever since. He was also in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, you know, that's a pretty huge achievement right there. Music was enriched by Felix Mendelssohn in 1809 in Hamburg, Germany, one of the most famous composers of the Romantic era. Phenomenal musician in his own right. He composed Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we just sang. He also composed the melody for Songs Without Words, which have been played and remade across a whole variety of musical styles ever since. But nobody in 1809 was thinking about babies. Everybody was thinking about battles. Yet which of the battles of 1809 mattered more than the babies that were born that year? We fancy that God can only change this world through the big wars of history. When all the while, he is doing it through beautiful babies that are being born into the world. When a wrong wants writing, when a truth wants preaching, a people group championed, or a continent wants opening, God sends a baby into the world to do it. And where do you find God on Christmas? In a manger. A baby was born at the heart of the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire would eventually crumble and fall into memory, that baby would grow up to become the centerpiece of history. Two and a half billion people on planet earth today claim to follow Jesus. It's our third Sunday of Advent, and I want to take us into the heart of Jesus' birth. What does it really involve at its core? We're going to use the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Colossae as our guide. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. You know, learning about Jesus and Christmas is a little bit like the Christian faith as a whole. It's really simple on the one hand, and it's endlessly deep on the other that's a good thing it means you can grasp the basics pretty quick but you can also continue to learn and grow over a lifetime first three verses of colossians 1 
make an astounding claim. They begin by telling us that God the Father is invisible. Duh, we all know that. But stop and think about that for a second. How were we, as human beings, supposed to know God if he is always invisible? Well, we get a partial glimpse of God from what he has done. Both his creation acts, as well as the way he has intervened in history and saved people. God created the world. Every human being who has ever lived at some point in their life sits on the edge of a cliff and ponders the beauty of nature and go, how did all of this stuff get here? Every human being also reaches the point where they kind of go, how did I get here? And then we see God's specific miraculous interventions. If you read the the first half of the Bible, you see this amazing way that God saved Noah and his family from the flood. Then God showed up and Moses met in a dramatic way with God as the bush was on fire, but the bush didn't burn up and the voice of God came out of it. And he sent Moses to rescue millions of Hebrew slaves that were being brutally suppressed under the Egyptian pharaoh. All the miracles that went along with that, the ten plagues, he went through the Red Sea, incredible ways that God saved his people. And later on, when there was the northern kingdom of Israel and southern kingdom of Judah, King Hezekiah faced the might of the Assyrian army. 186,000 troops at the walls of Jerusalem. Absolutely no chance that this little kingdom of Judah could survive. And Hezekiah spread out the letter from the opposing general, mocking God, mocking the nation. And he said, God, you are our only hope. And God did a miracle and the army was defeated. God, we know God, human beings know God through what he has made and how he has saved. But ultimately, he was still invisible. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul in 1 Colossians to tell us that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the icon or the image of the invisible God. Essentially, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus himself said this in John 10.30. He said, I and the Father are one. So Christmas, in one sense, is about making the invisible God visible. Then it tells us the astounding truth that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has always existed. From before the creation of time, before the creation of light, before the creation of the universe and planet Earth, God has always existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. They're one in their essence, but they're separate in their person. How many of us, if we're honest, when we think about Genesis and the creation account, how many of us think of that as a Trinitarian act? In other words, how many of us, if we're honest, picture God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all involved in creation? We don't generally think that, do we? But Colossians declares that fact. And in fact, the creation account in Genesis, there are clues. Genesis 1-2. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then in Genesis 1.26, it says, And God said, let us make man in our image. 
That is so important for a number of different reasons. It means that Jesus has the power to create. As Jesus grew and began his ministry, we see it come through in the Gospels. Jesus multiplies five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed a crowd that scholars think was over 10,000 men, women, and children. By implication, that means that Jesus has the power to create in your life and in my life. I had the privilege two weeks ago of doing an Alcoholics Anonymous Step 5 with a person from our community. If you aren't familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous, they have 12 steps. And step five, the person comes and they either come to a, a pastor or a priest or a counselor, someone that has kind of sworn to confidentiality, and they tell you their life story. What are all the factors that led them to have a dependence on alcohol? And so I had the privilege of doing that. And I've learned that my role in a step five isn't, I'm not there to, to tell the person something. I'm there to be the best listener I can and ask questions as we go through. And if at the end they're okay, then I asked if I can pray for them. Well, this person two weeks ago took me through their story and right down to the depths of their story and back the other side. And through God's grace, this person's been sober for over 15 years. They put their life back together. It was a really amazing time. But as the person was telling me their story and they were, they were talking about all the details of going through what they went through, even as a child, there was numerous points in their life story where I thought, this person should have died. Physically, they were in so much danger, they should have died. And when they were in the deepest depths of despair, I thought, this is amazing, this person didn't take their own life. Now, this person isn't quite at the point of understanding where they're ready to acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they would be happy to tell anyone from what they have experienced, that God has physically saved their life at least on three different occasions. Well, Colossians tells us that the Son, the icon, or the image of the invisible God was present and causing that original creation to happen. It also tells us that the creative power of Jesus doesn't end. He can create a new life for someone trapped in alcoholism who hit rock bottom. And if he can do that for them, it means he can create a new life for you and I here today. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're in absolute desperate circumstances. You know who has the power to help you? The Son of God. And if you fully surrender your will, your emotions, your finances, your life direction to him, he has the power to rebuild your life. Now, some people draw back at that point and they say, well, no, you know, I'm, I'm willing to add a little Jesus into the mix, but I am not ready to turn over my life to him. I don't want him controlling my life. Now, that is your free choice. But Jesus is pretty clear that in that frame of mind, you aren't worthy to follow him. Jesus said pretty famously, whoever loses their life for my sake will truly find it. And you thought that just by staring at your nativity scene on your mantle, you had Christmas completely figured out. Christmas is way deeper than we imagined. All right, from there we move on to verse 18. And it too has some big claims to make. 
says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that's a raises a really great question. How do you get honor and status in life? Well, some people do that by talking about themselves, by trying to give the honor and glory to themselves. Check out this statement from hip-hop rap artist Kanye West. Makes me laugh. My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. (laughs) That is awesome. I was just like the height of arrogance. Wow. Okay. Uh, After a Champions League victory over Dynamo Zagreb in 2012, soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo was asked why he had been jeered by fans, to which he responded with another straightforward, to-the-point answer. He says, it's surely because I'm good-looking. I'm rich and a great footballer. They're jealous of me. I don't have any other explanation. It's a contest to see who's more arrogant. Well, that is certainly one way to get honor and status in life. Tell everyone how great you are. But Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus didn't did it in a different way. He earned it, and then he let everyone else talk about it. It says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus willingly sacrificed himself in the absolutely most painful death imaginable. He was dead in the grave for three days and then was resurrected to new life. He conquered sin, death, and the devil. And he does deserve to have the supremacy in everything. Not by telling everyone how great he is, but by through absolutely the most incredible self-sacrificial act in history. Someone has said that in fact Jesus was born to die. The shadow of the cross hangs over the manger. English theologian and novelist Dorothy L. Sayers says it this way. The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. That is Christmas, Ocean View Community Church. Incredibly straightforward and simple on the one hand and endlessly deep on the other. Our third and final point is Jesus and creation. Or salvation, sorry. Have you ever thought about what the greatest need of human beings truly is? Someone has phrased it this way. They said if our greatest need as human beings was for information... God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent us an economist. 
If our greatest need had been for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. Jesus is God. Jesus makes the invisible God visible for you and I. And what was the goal of that first Christmas? What was the goal of God becoming human? Colossians 1.20 tells us the point was to reconcile all things to himself through his shed blood on the cross. To reconcile all things. Did you catch that? doesn't mean reconcile a good amount of things through, uh, it was to reconcile all things. And that is such good news. That means that one day, through the example, teachings, and love of Jesus and the church and missionaries like Sandy Ewan that we support, the fighting in South Sudan will end one day. The people of Sudan will be reconciled to each other. That means that one day this beautiful planet Earth that has suffered so much human pollution and destruction will be reconciled back to its creator. God promises a new heaven and a new earth, perfectly purified and restored. That means for every teenager that has been betrayed by his or her friends in a public way, will one day see forgiveness and reconciliation flow and friendships rebuilt. Means that one day your broken relationship with your ex will be reconciled. You will become friends again. Means that your broken relationship with your adult children will one day be healed and reconciled. Most of those will be achieved in this lifetime, but some are so deep and have so many layers, they will only be reconciled in the life to come. But you can know with all assurance today that Jesus is in the reconciliation business. Well, we began in 1809 by talking about how the world was obsessed with Napoleon and his grand army marching all over Europe. In the midst of that year, a host of incredible babies were born that have gone on to affect the world far more than Napoleon and his armies ever did. As we have come through Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20 today, we have seen that the baby born in Bethlehem had and will continue to have the greatest effect on history imaginable. One baby, second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the icon or the image of the invisible God truly has the supremacy. In Him, all things hold together. That is Christmas, Ocean View Community Church. Incredibly simple on one hand, endlessly deep on the other. Amen? Irene, come and pray for us.